Now playing movie reviews in 20 cues. Mate, did we watch a thing this week? <laughs> Fuck yeah, we did. <laughs> I, in fairness, didn't because I've seen the movie quite recently and a thousand times. So I was like, eh. Oh, yeah, I didn't watch you. the full thing last night. I I've, I'm committed. It. I'm committed. <laughs> Hello, good people, and welcome to the podcast, Movie Reviews in 20 Qs, the show where we review a movie by asking 20 weird and wonderful questions about it. Those two voices that you've already heard are Topher and Billy from We Watch The Thing. How are you going, boys? I, I, I myself have been good. How are you, gentlemen? Top of the world. Yeah, no complaints here. <laughs> no complaints? You're a new father, Topher. You're supposed to be full of complaints. That's all we do is I've bitch got, and moan. I've got many, many complaints, but it would be an entire <laughs> show, and I won't go into it. <laughs> you got 99 <laughs> problems, and a baby is all of them. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, Topher is making his welcome uh, return to podcasting in general, aren't you, Topher? Been a while. I am. I've had zero interest in doing my own show, <laughs> but as soon as as soon as you know you put up the bat signal, I was like, "I'm there, Sam. I'm there for you." <laughs> that hurts, Topher. That really hurts. <laughs> I was about to say, you're not just going to sit there and take it, are you, Billy? No, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> in fact, Topher is coming back on the show this week. Thank God. Oh, awesome. <laughs> Which means I don't need to have people like you on anymore, Sam, dragging <laughs> <Yeah>. me down. <laughs> Fuck, you're the one to talk, man. You're the one that want to do Hubie Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really wish that at the last minute I had gone through with my plan and just changed the movie on you after you'd watched it. <laughs> I-, I wish you had. I'm fucking highly disappointed. I'll put it that way. But talking about good films, the one that we're doing this week is Seven, uh, directed by David Fincher. I mean, most people know what this film is. Starring Brad Pitt as Detective David Mills, Morgan Freeman as Detective Somerset, Gwyneth Paltrow as Tracy Mills, Ali Ermey as Police Captain. Didn't even have a name. Police Captain. <laughs> Richard Roundtree as the District Attorney, and John C. McGinley as California. California? What the <laughs> fuck? It's, it's something else, isn't it? California. Johnny C. Just California. Just California. Maybe that's what the C. And McGinley nickname? stands for. <laughs> Yeah. John California McGinley. Anyway, he's the head of SWAT. If you haven't seen this film before, we'll give you a quick plot of whoever's watched it the most recently. Billy, you watched it last night. So what's the plot of Seven? I skimmed through it, mate. I didn't watch the full thing, but okay. All right. I have seen it many times, and I will try to be much more succinct than I was with Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, There's a serial killer who is killing people in the fashion of the seven deadly sins. Uh, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are newly partnered police who are trying to track down the killer. There we go. That was, uh, yeah, surprisingly succinct. Way better than <laughs> Die Hard Revengeance where you gave us a full breakdown <laughs> on the first two minutes and then skimmed oh, look, over I mean, the last could, uh, hour and then, like 48 or with it. <laughs> I could do that. All right, there's this fat guy, right? They find him dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need on this podcast is a scene-by-scene breakdown that goes for five hours, yeah. Billy. That's exactly what we're after. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like most people have seen it, it came out in 1995, has a score of 8.6 out of 10 on IMDb, 82% of Rotten Tomatoes, and 65% on Metacritic. Very excited to be talking about this one, especially because we have Finch's um, biggest stan, I guess is the best way to describe him, in Topher. Would that be accurate assumption of you, Topher? I film bro out with a vengeance when it comes to Fincher. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to hear negative things be said about him then. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> But yeah, if you haven't heard this podcast before, what we do is we review a movie by asking 20 weird or wonderful questions about it. We start with 10 questions that can be applied to any film, then move into three personal questions that we thought of while watching the film. Finally, ending on either a listener question or a Patreon question, and this week it's a Patreon question. So the one that we always start with is the compliment sandwich, which is one thing good, one thing bad, one thing good, if you're giving a score over 5,000. If you're giving it a score under 5,000, then it's one thing bad, one thing good, and one thing bad. 
or and that's called the shit sandwich. Or because we've because of Topher calling me out and saying if you give a movie a ten thousand, then there can't be anything bad with it. We've got the Topher rule, which is the basically the hyperbole sandwich, which if you give something a score over ten thousand, then it's one thing good, one thing great, and then one thing good. So Billy, why don't you lead us off? All right, here comes my shit sandwich, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Good I kid. night, everyone. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Go watch right. a movie. Classic Billy. <laughs> the first thing that I really love about this film, which I'm sure you guys are probably going to say the same thing, is just the style. Like, this really... I mean, obviously, we had Alien 3, but I think this really is Finch's debut film, and, and this is the first one that he feels he got to make and, and put his real stamp on. And I think what he does here, you can see carry through so many of his other films like the visual language of the film the way that it's color graded the the atmosphere and the mood the the score and the soundtrack all that stuff just kind of melds together so well the production design the way that the, it is constantly raining in this nameless city like i just think it's a really beautiful film to look at and watch negative thing gwyneth paltrow mm. she belongs in the box that's where she should be she shouldn't be in this film or in any film ever she should go back to <laughs> gooping all over the place holy shit the, other great thing is the screenplay. I think this film is so well written. It's so tight. There's no wasted time. There's no unnecessary exposition. It's taut and tense the whole way through. I'm so glad that they were able to fight for the original ending. I'm sure you guys know that the, the studio wanted them to change, you know, mm. not have the head in the box. But I just think that the screenplay is so well written. And it's hard to believe that this guy was basically unknown. Like, and he's, he's, a script doctor now he does a lot of cleaning up scripts and he's been a script doctor on just about all of finch's other films but it's hard to believe that we haven't seen anything like this out of this guy given how good this screenplay is so you count eight millimeter as a rom-com then do you billy <laughs> no but i'm saying like outside of these two he mostly does script doctoring it, yeah. he, does, he doesn't have a lot of original scripts which is crazy given how original and well-written this film is I feel like he, didn't he start life as a record store, like working in a record yeah, store? Yeah, he wrote this yeah. while he worked at a record over like a two-year period, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah kind yeah, of yeah. Tarantino well, well, living style. Living in New York, he was inspired by the city. Apparently, <laughs> I'm going to write a very dark and grimy movie while living in a very dark <laughs> and grimy city. Fair enough. Yes, makes sense. As a score out of ten thousand sins, my score. Rewatching this last night, I still very, very, very much enjoyed this movie. But I think, I think I had held this movie on a slightly higher pedestal than. You know, like looking back, I, I, I thought that this was one of my favorite Fincher films. Whereas rewatching it last night, it did drop slightly for me, only slightly. I'm an 8,825. Not bad. Not bad. Okay, over to Fincher Sam. What about you? My uh, It Will Shock Nobody compliment sandwich. <laughs> um, first up is Darius Conji's lighting in this film. He was not nominated for. Best Cinematography at the Oscars this year um, because it was such a packed field with films like Batman Forever <laughs> getting a nomination. <laughs> if anyone can explain to me <laughs> Darius Conji's absence from that list of nominees, um, have at it. It's, a, it's one of the most striking films of the 90s, the, yeah. the bleach bypass they did mm. with the negative that keeps the, if you want to get really nerdy about it, keeps the silver in the negative to make the blacks that really kind of inky black that we get through the film, the embracing shadow in the image to reflect the story. It's just some real high-class shit yeah. from Konji. I mean, no Batman forever, but still good. <laughs> what, um, is, what is? 
one bad thing. Like Billy, I'm going to focus on a performance here. I think Leland Orsa as the the guy who is made to kill the sex worker who would like hyperventilate before takes, and I don't I don't think he slept the night before his day of shooting to be like so that he'd be like as frazzled as the character. And I feel like Fincher just needed to go go up to him and be like, Leland, you're at a ten. I need you at a six. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Just I, fucking pull I it need back, you at champ. A seven. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you're right. I think the trivia I read is he didn't sleep for 48 hours actually to try and get that mm. performance. Was hyperventilating himself. Yeah. Yeah, maybe sleep's important to the process because I don't think he's good. My my other good thing is I, I'm kind of just sticking with Billy here. I don't think you can undersell the effect that David Fincher had on this film when you consider that he's had yes he's made one film before it was a nightmare experience where he's like all but bullied by the studio to then just have the a mixture of self-confidence and also well if this doesn't come off i don't care because clearly making movies isn't for me to just come up and say no blow it out your ass this is how this film is happening if you've got a problem with it i'm not your director Mm, mm. and delivers all you could hope from this script. Yeah, it's pretty f- amazing that he failed so much with Alien 3 and then, well, in like a lot of ways, and then at the same time hated the whole idea of filmmaking, and they just constantly pressured him to try and make this. It's sort of like they almost realised that he's been really shortchanged and this is almost like a, hey, we're sorry. In, in a weird way, Alien 3 kind of sets up his career beautifully because it does put him on this path of, no, it's going to be my way or the highway. So like sure, weirdly, yeah. without... Without Alien 3, you th- you don't get the career that we've got from Fincher. Yeah, yeah, he might be bowing more to studios later on. Yeah. Also, I like Alien 3. <laughs> yeah. Some people do. Yeah. Some people do. Some people like fucking Tommy Boy. Oh, There's a lot of weird people out of the Boy, world. Mate. There on, are some weirdos mate. out there. Um, weird, weirder even than people in this film. Absolutely. Um, so sim- similar to Billy, big fan of Seven. It's not one of my absolute favorite fincher films right but i do very much dig it i'm an 8367 nice gotta put a seven in there at the end that's perfect <laughs> yeah i mean i was gonna go hyperbole sandwich just to piss you off Topher, because i know you don't believe in the idea that there's such a thing as perfect films but uh I- i'm i'm giving it a compliment sandwich i very much could give it a hyperbole sandwich this is legitimately in one of my top 20 films of all time so i mean my first good thing is that i like how it's, it's so disgusting yeah, all most of the violence actually happens off screen. Like you don't see it. So you you come across these corpses, these victims, all that sort of shit. You never see how they got there in that first place. But yet your mind almost imagines what's happened to these people to get to these points that it's like it's worse than actually seeing it. You know, like well, that's it. Like with the the murder I touched on before with the guy who's forced to kill the sex worker. The yeah. idea of that is absolutely as horrifying as anything that they could actually show you. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, the bad thing, <laughs> Gwynny, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, just going to be my controversial opinion, but Gwyneth Paltrow's performance in this, although for all three scenes, you know, it's probably one of her best performances, but it's not It's not something to hang your hat on. It's She's not, got more Oscars than Fincher. That's true. <laughs> Very good point. <laughs> well, I mean, his Shakespeare in love, it's, I mean, she's incredible. Yeah, no comment. Uh, and then moving on to my final, final good thing, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. I mean, this was... The point at which people discovered that Brad Pitt was a basically a sort of character actor in a leading man's body with a leading man's face. He was like, he's clearly a character actor who can play these weird 
characters and they can flow between like the cocky level of arrogance and this mixed with like vulnerability that we see in some scenes, especially the last one, which is absolutely phenomenal. And then Morgan Freeman as well. And like some people say, oh, he's just doing the same character as Red out of Shawshank, which I think is absolute fucking bullshit. Because if you watch Shawshank, he's almost like the optimism of that film mixed with a bit of stoicism. Whereas in this, he's so fucking cynical the entire time. And he just brings this like level of gravitas to the performance that I know originally they courted like Al Pacino to be his role and Denzel Washington to be Brad Pitt. And you just you think about all the other people that could have been put in that role. And I just can't see anybody else but Morgan Freeman playing him. And I think they just basically complement but contradict each other in such a way that this is just one of my favorite films of all time. So that's why I'm giving it 9,777 sins out of 10,000. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Some good film broing from Sam. Oh, it film is. bro. It is. Top shelf. Well, here's the thing, boys. Like, as you guys discovered recently, after reviewing a Nolan movie, you can't give shit things to Fincher movies either. The Fincher bros come after you just like the Nolan bros do. Yeah, grab your pitchforks. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway. Look, I'd, have, I'd, have, I'd have said nicer things about Tenet if it was, like, a better film. Exactly. <laughs> don't, don't bring it up again, mate. We don't, we don't want Sam to start getting one-star reviews as well. <laughs> oh, I do, man. Hate fuels me. Bring them on. I'm just glad someone's listening. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, let's move it over to question number two. What is it there, Billy? What was the biggest dick move of this movie? It's Detective Mills dragging Tracy to this place in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Dude, what are you doing? You're fairly, let's, let's assume they're fairly recently married. I don't know if it's ever explicitly said, but they're, they're a young couple. This is not where Tracy wants to be. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, but, Mills. But even even Somerset realizes it's not where Mills wants to be. He's just like constantly pinging him, like, "Why are you here? Like, legitimately, why did you pick Metro? You had a good run before, you know. Why are you here?" And we never get that fully explained. We never get the idea of why Mills wants to be in the most grimiest place on earth. No, that's a good answer. My, my one is when Somerset and Tracy, Gwyneth Paltrow's character, meet up in the diner, and then she reveals that she's pregnant. Yeah, and then he basically that's mine as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's more like he starts talking about how, oh, you know, I had an abortion and I kind of regret <laughs> it, but and, you know, I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about it. But then she says, "I want to have a family," and then he doesn't stop. He doesn't miss a beat. He's like, you know, like yeah, we got rid of it, and it's probably you got to be smart. You got to think about this and all that stuff. And yeah. he's like always trying to convince her to have an abortion after she's told you, "No, I don't. I want to have a family." Like, He's the Billy, spirit, Billy spirit animal. <laughs> yeah, don't have kids, mate. For me, for me, it's him, like, basically telling her, don't tell Mills. <laughs> like, I mean, don't tell your own partner that you're pregnant. Yeah. Really? What the fuck? I mean, immediately he starts off like, I'm not the person to be talking to about this. <laughs> but then yeah. he's like, I'm going to double down on that shittiness and just say. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he proves he's not the person to talk to about it. <laughs> it would be like someone having a. It's, it would be like when Topher told me he was pregnant. I'm like, are you sure, mate? Yeah, yeah. Are you really sure? Is this what you really want to be doing with your life? You know how <laughs> shitty Canberra is? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. Uh, question number three. What is it there, Toph? Question three is. What song would you have inserted into this film and where? I'll point out this is the first of our Patreon questions. Comes courtesy of Chris Yeni. Fuck you, the man, Chris. Uh, there was, there was, <laughs> this film doesn't have a lot of humour in it. In fact, it's a pretty dark film from start to finish. And so I would have liked it to have been in the scene where Somerset goes into the library and he says to them, you've got all these books here. You've got all this like wealth knowledge at your disposal. Why are you guys playing poker all night? And one of the guys turns around and goes, culture we've got culture as well and then proceeds to play i can't remember the name of it but plays 
you know, some sort of classical music. I would have loved it if he just like made a, you know, like basically an absurdist joke and said, culture, we've got culture. And then just started blasting Coolio's Gangster Paradise or something that was incredibly popular in 1995. Maybe even Achy Breaky Heart. You know, so like, him. <laughs> just trolled him with like, here's some culture for you, boy. <laughs> well, I reckon when they find Glutton, I would have loved it if Mills and Somerset cracked into like a rousing chorus of Porkman. <laughs> <laughs> Porkman. Pork man, you know, bring a little levity to the situation. <laughs> I'd bring something to the situation, that's for sure. That would be a move. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I didn't overthink this one and just decided to stick with my beard-wearing, hazy IPA, drinking, feature film bro-watching <laughs> self and Undertow by Tool on oh, the radio. Nice. Yeah. On the radio as they're heading out to the scene of the finale, let's have Tool. I mean, any Tool song, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But specifically, you know, it's 1995, so you're limited in your options. Yeah. Uh, moves us over to question number four, which is also a Patreon question. Comes courtesy of the amazing man that's Dave Baker. Dave is his own Patreon as well at patreon.com forward slash your favorite. Go visit it. You can find the link in the show notes. And what Dave would like to know this week is which character from this film would have the most, would have the biggest social media presence and on what platform? I, I don't know if you guys know about this new parlor thing, which is basically facebook for villains so i feel like john doe would probably have a pretty good following on that <laughs> oh yes i have heard of this yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like facebook and twitter but with zero censorship no fact checking so it's basically just become like the site for neo-nazis really yeah yeah so i reckon john doe would would be pretty big on that it's the new alt-right hangout hey eh? the zero fucks yes. given basically yeah that's yeah. right sorry if i've offended any any right wingers there but you all suck so i don't really care <laughs> jesus i'm gonna get trolled <laughs> fuck they're not gonna like my answer to the next question either the alt-righters but anyway <laughs> what about you Topher? tracy has ample opportunity to take pictures of dogs so, like, what, what gets more likes on social media than pictures of dogs? It's true. There, there are full accounts Nothing. on Instagram where, like, a dog has an Instagram the dog, account. Yeah, like, the dog is the account. Followers. So that's yeah. basically what she's doing on Instagram. It's just pictures of the, the dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Animals do manage the... God damn it, that should have been my answer. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I went with John Doe as well. I, I thought he'd have some sort of weird following on Tumblr. You know, because he's writing down so much shit, just so much endless screeds of shit. And eventually you're going to find an audience. I'm an author. I know what it's like. You eventually write enough words. Somebody's <laughs> going to read one and go, hey, that was kind of good. <laughs> so, hey, there we go. I was reading last night that they spent 15 grand on, on those notebooks. Yeah. Took two months. Yeah. That's nuts. <laughs> Fucking unreal, eh? They're, like, it, they opened one. Opened one. Like, le- <laughs> legitimately just hundreds of books just sitting there unread. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Moves us over to question number five. Also a Patreon question comes courtesy of Julio of the Contrarians podcast, a podcast in which they rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine by arguing why a very highly reviewed film is rubbish. So they'll probably spend a good hour and a half talking about why this film is shit and then offer their true thoughts at the end. What's their question there, Billy? What is your most controversial opinion about this film? So as I mentioned, I didn't actually watch this film like in the last week in prep because I've seen it a lot and watched it only recently. and. On that occasion, Billy, Billy, I'm pretty sure I messaged you as I was watching it or just after and was like, okay, I get that this is a, an easy opinion to share in 2020, but are we sure Kevin Spacey's good in this film? Oh. Because I think I'm a big one on, like, there's a difference between acting weird and good acting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not that into the performance of John Doe. 
I still dig it. I, I still I still think Spacey's doing a pretty good job. You but. creeper. <laughs> I got to say, I mean, not not obviously a fan of Spacey as a person, but I, like I still, you know, like controversial opinion. Billy American likes Beauty. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> <laughs> I could still watch American Beauty any day of the week. I think that yeah. he is a pretty damn good actor. Yeah, yeah. My thing. Yeah, I'm I'm not as I'm not as into this performance as the rest of the world. I'm with you, Toph. I it's. One of those performances that it's like, yeah, he's just being odd. And you're right. Like, it's almost like David Finch had amazing foresight to realize he is going to be a massive creep in the future. So why not cast him as a massive creep? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is going to age both beautifully and terribly. Exactly. Yeah, for half of the scene, Spacey didn't even know they were filming. <laughs> <laughs> he was just rocking around, creeping about. And they were like, oh, quick, fuck, start rolling on this. Chasing Spacey's after Brad Pitt. creep again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the one for me, I mean, we've already mentioned, I'm probably going to piss off the alt right, and they're probably going to do it more with this. This is better than Fight Club. This is way better than Fight Club. Like, out of the movies in the 90s from Fincher, or even Fincher's movies, I, I've rewatched Fight Club. I went to see it at the movies, and I feel like Fight Club loses its sting and its appeal once you know the ending. Whereas for this film, I can rewatch this a lot, and I don't know, like, like Fight Club has a couple of good performances in it and shit as well, just similar to this film, but there's something about this that I just feel holds up. Holds up way better than Fight Club. I agree with you. I, I think this is better than Fight Club. Yeah. Which leads me to my controversial opinion, which I don't think you guys will like, but I don't think this is as good as the game. Oh, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, like, honestly, I could rewatch the game any day of the That's week. That's a that take. Is such, that is such a watchable movie. Like, even with Michael Douglas fucking it up, it's still somehow good. <laughs> And Sean Penn. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I think that's what Julio was aiming for when he invented this question. Billy, so well done. Congratulations. Well, yeah, I, I thought of my answer with Julio in mind, so. <laughs> it's funny, my opinion of Fight Club just goes up and up. Really? Once I got to, yeah, once I got to that point in, like, being a grown-up where I was like, oh, I didn't get Fight Like, and I loved Fight Club when it came out. I loved it. Yeah. And then got to a point, I watched it again and was like, you're an idiot and didn't know what this film was about. Yeah. And it's actually better. Than I realised. Yeah, I've, as I said, rewatched it recently. I, I really enjoyed it when I was younger, but then on the rewatch, I was like, "This is just self-entitled white assholes." Like, you know, originally, obviously. Yeah, but that's the point. I know, I know, that's the point. <laughs> he's, he's taking a dig at them. He's taking a dig at like the sort of yeah. Toxic when you realise that, yeah, when you hit that point in your life where you realise that Tyler is not aspirational, he's the bad guy. Yeah, and you're like, yeah. oh, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> it's sort of like that yeah. other amazing film that came out last year, Joker. It's like a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> look at that film and go he's the hero it's just like nah mate you've got it wrong he's the fucking villain man yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, moves it over to next question which was also a Patreon question comes courtesy the amazing woman is Emily Higgins who runs the Tasteless podcast you guys know her she's been on enough probably sick about hearing about her so what's your question there Topher it is what side character would have the best spin-off movie this was my backup answer to the dick move, but I want to see the adventures of the real estate agent that sold them their house. <laughs> I the real the, villain of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The real <laughs> villain of the film. I reckon that would have been a wacky ass comedy. You know what I mean? Like, I reckon this real estate agent's going all around town, making deals with all these people, <laughs> screwing over all these people. It's an absolute complete piece of shit. Again, probably like a, a real anti-hero slash it's actually a villain film, maybe. But yeah, I, I just want to see that. <laughs> could be like a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross type film. <laughs> Absolutely, it could be. The, the real question is, why is John Doe not targeted that person? I mean, that person's surely guilty of some sins. Oh, yeah, greed. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Um, my answer is just John C. McGinley's California because he's John C. motherfucking McGinley and he doesn't get enough screen time. Like, uh, like I would watch John C. McGinley do anything. I would happily watch a whole movie about him. The backstory of why he's called California. Why is he called California? <laughs> like, I mean, they don't, it clearly isn't set in California. Did he move from California? Is there something else happening there? I want to know. The best part is it's like it's a one-namer, like Sheer or Madonna. It's like he's taken that <laughs> yeah. on. He's like, I just call me California. Dude, you're from I Utah. I know if he yeah, gave I know, himself I know, but... that nickname. Because <laughs> I've, I've tried to give myself nicknames before, and they just haven't landed. So I want to know how he got that happening. I really be dizzle. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, it's caught on. <laughs> what I love about him was the scene where the guy, it's Sloth, isn't he? Where the guy Sloth, that's yeah. he's still alive. The fact that Fincher, similar to like Alien, didn't tell anybody that the character on the bed did or supposedly did is actually going to be alive. So when California leans in like John C. McGinley and is just like sniffing him or whatever, he's like, you got what you deserved. That guy, when he <laughs> pops up, he actually is legitimately shitting himself. He had no idea that that character was actually going to jump out of the bed, which I thought was awesome. So good. It's yeah. a good thing that McGinley like recoils because he could, McGinley could straight up kill that guy if he, <laughs> if he'd reacted another way. Just fucking sucked yeah. him in the face. Eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He seems like a very intimidating man. <laughs> oh, good, good rig, Johnny C. Oh, Jesus. Even now, like, the man is, like, well into his 50s, and fuck, he looks good. <laughs> he is absolutely ripped. Says, says the dad bod society. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fucking amen, brother. <laughs> Pass the chips, Billy. <laughs> I need chips and more beer. <laughs> absolutely. What about you, Toph? I, I want George's Night Adventures at the Library, the feature. George, I love George. I think he's great. I'd pot around with him just like in real, you know, like 1917, yeah. one shot, follow George around <laughs> for two hours. I do have comments about the library soon. So, you yeah, know, I can, I can actually dig that. I can really dig what you're saying. Uh, question number seven. I throw this one in every time you guys are on because you both work in the industry. So I'd like to hear your sort of technical knowledge and know-how. But what's something in this film that you noticed that you don't think other people might have immediately noticed? So I once again have not picked something industry-wise. God damn it. <laughs> but I did watch this on my big screen last night because I've got a projector screen about 100 inches. And when you see the shot of the newspaper stand with the, you know, the crazy big headlines about the murders, yeah. and I couldn't help but notice the other headlines. So I paused it and had a look. One of them says, housekeeper held hostage by child's possessed gerbil, three days of terror. Holy shit! <laughs> and, an, and another one says, neighbor's beagle scares teen, cures eight-year bout with hiccups. <laughs> this is fucking amazing, man. <laughs> like, like they're, they're smaller than the big John Doe headlines, but they're not that small. They're pretty legible there. Like, it's pretty funny. <laughs> God damn, I love it when films do this. There's quite a few films yeah. that have this, that have this like, shit happening in the background. It's amazing, yeah. So this is the paper that Tommy Lee Jones goes to for his intel in Men in Black, <laughs> yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Billy, you keep throwing this question at us and we keep coming up with not the kind of thing you want to hear <laughs> at all. Um, and my one is one, I'm sure other people notice this, but I still just get a kind of cheap thrill out of it when at the beginning of the film we have some Nine Inch Nails playing. Yeah. Almost like the foreshadowing of the relationship that Fincher and Reznor will come to have later in his career and it just it just tickles me oh that's cute the one for me is as people have probably picked up on is i love symbolism i love symbolism in a film i think it's flipping awesome 
The most common one in this is the use of the number seven, surprisingly, like the seven deadly sins. Uh, all the buildings at the start, you'll notice they have a seven in them on their address. The package, when it arrives at the end, being the box, is um, comes at seven o'clock at night. And then Somerset himself is literally one week from retiring, so he's seven days off retiring. So I loved all that symbolism, but the other symbolism that's a little bit sort of deep and dark and poignant is I love at the end that this box is delivered and they and Somerset opens the box and it's like it releases the last of the two sins. And people that know Greek mythology knows that when Pandora's box was opened, that was when all the sins got released out into the world. So that was like the last two sins. But what people often forget about Pandora's box was the one thing that remained in the box was hope. And I feel like Gwyneth Paltrow's character was that. I feel like she was hope and she was the last thing left in this box. Like she was the hope for Mills. And so, yeah, I just love that symbolism. Also, it's hopeful for the audience that we don't have to watch Gwyneth Paltrow anymore. (laughs) 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 Another little seven symbolism, which I find crazy. This film was seventh highest grossed at the box office for 95. That's insane. That's just crazy coincidence. There's some depraved bastards out there. (laughs) Uh, well, we all loved it, so yeah, correct. And in here. <laughs> uh, question number eight, what is it there, Billy? All right, what deep philosophical debate arose in you during this film? Um, who would you rather meet for a drink? John Doe or Kevin Spacey? <laughs> I feel like they're one and the same at this point, aren't they? <laughs> well, John Doe would have some stories to tell. Kevin Spacey would make you a story. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Um, the one for me is like we, we mentioned the library guards all playing poker at night. There's, there's a lot of library guards. There's a lot of security guards for a library, which makes me wonder, what the fuck is that library guarding that needs this many security guards? You know, have they got first editions of the Bible? they got yep. first editions of Homer's Iliad or something like that? Like, what the hell is <laughs> a bit this bit of Da Vinci protecting? code going on? Exactly. Yeah, I've been to legitimate government buildings that don't have that many security guards. I know. <laughs> How the fuck is this place getting so many security guards? <laughs> well, my, this is something that I think about just about every time I hear about the seven deadly sins is like so many of them really mean like the same thing. I, I, I find the seven deadly sins a really confusing subject because to me, like, isn't gluttony basically just greed, but for food and like even lust is kind of greed, but for sex. And like, I just find all of them really similar like envy and greed kind of go hand in hand and sloth and gluttony usually go hand in hand i just don't understand them like who came up with them and why like i feel like the commandments are a little bit clearer the sins i just don't get yep i don't know not prompting any conversation but i just i just always find it interesting (laughs) i just mentally like to check through how many i've done in that day i'm like yep 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 oh oh yeah oh yes (laughs) oh i need to go check that one off Anyway, the next question is what there, Topher? It is. What quote from this film would be the worst thing to hear just after you finish having sex? So, guys, I feel like there's one main one. In fact, it's a bit of a diatribe that potentially we all have, which is, I've been trying to figure something out in my head, and maybe you can help me out, yeah? When a person is insane, as you clearly are, do you know that you're insane? Maybe you're just <laughs> sitting around reading guns and ammo, <laughs> masturbating in your own feces. Do you stop and go, Wow! It is amazing how fucking crazy I really am. Yeah? <laughs> do you guys do that? <laughs> I thought about that one. It's, but it's very easy. The question doesn't really say anything about what kind of sex that you've had. Right. I would hate to stop having sex and hear someone say, he's experienced about as much pain and suffering as anyone I've encountered, give or take, and he still has hell to look forward to. <laughs> I don't want to hear that when I'm done having sex. What kind of sex was that? <laughs> 
Well, it's better than if they say it about themselves. Well, that's that's true. That would be rough. That was my runner-up. I, I know exactly what you're putting down there, Billy. <laughs> There's a good one here for um, actually pre-coital action rather than post, uh, which is this isn't going to have a happy ending. <laughs> that was my other one. I've got, I've got four. <laughs> then my one's for post. Probably my winner is get this thing off me. Yeah. <laughs> and then we, we also, though, like there's, there's some real low-hanging fruit here. What's the most famous line from the film? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Anywho, moves us down to our final question that can be applied to any film. This one is also a Patreon question. Comes courtesy of the amazing man, this Dan Brennick. Dan's been on recently to do Holidays. God, fuck that film. He also has been on to do Independence Day. Yay, that film. But what Dan would like to know is who do we reckon is the real MVP of this movie? And it can't be the main characters. Well, I mean, this might be controversial, but it's it's John Doe. Like, I mean, sure, he's he's a bad egg and he, and he does some bad stuff, but he pulled that off pretty damn amazingly. Like, the man can clearly commit to something and follow through. Like, that's they're pretty good skills to have. I counted him as one of the main characters. Yeah. So I, th- I, oh, I really? said Billy Cheats. Oh, I was just thinking Mills and Somerset. Uh, listeners, I'd like to point out that it's very clear now that Billy is a Kevin Spacey apologist. And so if you're going to direct one-star reviews, please direct it at We Watch the Thing. Not me. <laughs> no, like, honestly, think about it. This guy has cops following him from the very first murder. Like, he has them looking for him. Yeah. And yet he has to basically confess for them to find him. <laughs> like, It's true. It's, they only came close it's very once, well and pulled I'll off. sort of queried a little bit of that later. But yeah, yeah. I'm going the delivery guy. The entire finale hinges on this guy being on time and not... Co- like, he's going to the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And the entire sensational finale of this film rests on this guy's shoulders. And, pardon, you know, he delivers. I know. Thank God he didn't work for Australia Post. They never would have got that <laughs> fucking package. Ooh, just in case anyone was wondering if there'd be some dad jokes from the crew here. Yeah. <laughs> there they are. <laughs> New Zealand Post would have, like... You would have seen a shot of the car parked up on the side of the road and then a guy just kicking the box for about 300 metres and then writing <laughs> yeah. a little form saying, while you're out, and then just dropping it on the ground and then walking away again. So that was what New Zealand Post would be like. Yeah, I'm coming after you, New Zealand Post. Oh, well, at, at least it sounds like they would have left the package. I'll just leave the stupid little card even if you're home. They take the package with you and you've got to go pick it oh, up. Oh, yeah, no, they would have picked up the package afterwards. They would have kicked it all the way down, <laughs> yeah. left the note, and then just picked it up and walked away again. Yeah. Wynneth was actually alive when he put her in the box. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was blinking out SOS, but no, Postman fucking destroyed her. The one for me is the police chief dropping the photos on uh, Somerset's desk. Because Somerset at that point was like, fuck this, I'm out, I'm done with this shit, I'm, I'm, I don't want this to be my last case. Mills shouldn't have this as his first case, I'm out. And then the Bell police chief, old yelly man from Full Metal Jacket, just comes along. Very subtly drops the photos on Mills's, on Somerset's desk and he picks them up, starts going through them. And he knew, he knew he was going to hook him and lure him in. And if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have this movie. Good job, that guy. Absolutely. We're on to mine. Question 11 slash Topher 1. <laughs> <laughs> Where does John Doe rank in Fincher villains? For me, he's second after Zuckerberg. Ooh. Because, I mean, Zuckerberg is a genius and he's simultaneously the villain and the protagonist of that film. I think he's such a well-written character. John Doe might be slightly more evil, but in terms of like characterization, yeah, he's second for me after, after Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg only slightly less evil than John Doe. 
Slightly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Not a not a heap. Not a heap less. <laughs> Shots fired at Zuckerberg. <laughs> we all know Zuckerberg's killed some people in some pretty horrific manners, eh? It's never oh. been proven, but we know it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. There's some things you just know in your bones. <laughs> Zuckerberg is up there. I. I'd put, probably put Joe, John Doe second as well. The only one that beats him, and this is going to be a little bit controversial given that it's a TV series, is Ed Kemper out of Mindhunter, which admittedly was like produced and the first couple of episodes were directed by David Fincher. And I think the thing about Ed Kemper is we actually get to spend more time with him. I can't remember the actor's name mm. that plays him, but fuck, he's terrifying. Yeah, he plays him really, really well. Yeah. yeah. Um, people that listen to our Gone Girl episode, Amy Dunn, she was probably up there as well. Amy's a fucking undefeated champion. Yeah. She's number one for me. <laughs> See, I didn't think of her enough as a villain, I guess. Like, I don't know. That movie is such a cat and mouse game between the two of them. And I mean, yeah, she's, I guess she's not good. But I don't know. I found it, I found it hard to think of her as a villain, really. You need to rewatch that movie, man. She is fucking ruthless. Yeah, the, she is for sure. I just feel like there's more shades of grey, really. Because when Affleck's the victim, it's kind of, eh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't worry about Ben Affleck. You're like, oh, fuck that guy. Is John Doe even the best villain that Spacey has played for Fincher? I would float. Because before we stopped using him in things, like first couple of seasons of House of Cards. Yeah. Fucking sensational. That's a good point. Shit, that's a good point. Anyway, I'm just outing myself as not a John Doe stand. <laughs> that's true. That's true. What do you got next here, Toph? Next up for me. How long was the Mills marriage going to last? If John Doe didn't cut it short. Like three months? <laughs> I want to leave. Yeah. Well, I want to stay here. This is my job. This is, you don't understand. I'm not coming home again tonight. Okay, well, I'm not going to hang around inside a shitty house that shakes every time a fucking train goes past. I'm out of here. For sure. They're both bad partners. Like, he took her to this place she hates. She's Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no, like, good in either of them. <laughs> like, they, they weren't going to last long. <laughs> She's fully off selling vagina candles somewhere pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, all, so all in agreement there. That thing didn't have a happy ending, whatever happened. Um, question 13. How would you explain this film to one of your children if they asked? I would explain it the same way I do most nights when my kid comes out of bed. An adult show, go back to bed. <laughs> That's pretty much my answer when, when I'm asked what I'm watching. As he's watching Clone Wars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is that also the same answer you've got? You give them when you're not watching a TV show. Yes, <laughs> just you and your wife and adult show. Go back to bed. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes he skips the first bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this was real hard for me because Fern doesn't understand anything, so I could basically yell whatever I wanted to. But I guess the best way to describe it is a bunch of naughty people kind of reap what they sow by an even naughtier man. Something mm-hmm. like that. That's basically it. <laughs> okay, moves me over to my questions. First up. Which cinematic universe of Finch's would be the most terrifying to wake up trapped inside tomorrow? And we've kind of ruled out 83, given that that's obviously completely terrifying. But yeah, I want to know from you guys which one you think would be the worst to wake up in. Because fuck, he makes some dark universes. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this answer is is for Topher. Because for me, it would be the curious case of Benjamin Button, because I'd just be so fucking bored. It would terrify me to death. I'd be so bored. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Get some taste. <laughs> I'm gone, girl. You're not. You've got Amy, and you've got Ben Affleck's grin. Fucking <laughs> nope. That's a good point. 
That's a good point. So, but 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 here's the thing: they're the only two that are really in danger. Well, them and Doogie Hauser. But like, if you woke up in that universe, who would you be? That would be like, if you were their neighbor, you'd be fine, mate. No, if you that neighborhood, that neighborhood horrifies me. Yeah, like it actually does. Yeah, once they move to Missouri, I'm just like, oh yuck. The the, the McMansion <laughs> neighborhood. Nope. I'm out. The pregnant woman down the street, there's an absolute busy body you wouldn't be into here. No. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to start with Billy on this one because the whole idea of waking up inside the Benjamin Button universe is you'd have to go through high school again. Fuck that. Fuck doing that when you're older. <laughs> that is yeah, kind I'm getting, of the I'm scariest. getting better with age, people. <laughs> Anyways, it moves me over to my next question. So basically at the end, John Doe is just sort of mouthing off at them and saying... You guys had no clue, you guys had no chance, you never were going to find me unless I turned myself in. So I want to know from you guys, what do you reckon? Do you reckon they stood any chance of ever finding this guy eventually, or do you reckon he would just would have disappeared? Nope. Mills is an idiot. And yeah, not a chance they were going to find him. Props to, like Sam, you touched on it earlier, this is kind of the break, you know, this is following on from Legends of the Fall and Brad Pitt's kind of announcement that I don't just want to be an incredibly famous, incredibly beautiful human, I want to be an actor. Yeah. And Mills is, like, in terms of Brad Pitt performances, I think his performance in this is by no means the finished article. Yeah. But, yep. Th- and that actually, it kind of serves the character of Mills mm. well in its he way. He feels inexperienced. Because, yep. like, there's just Mills, Mills is a fucking liability. He's not catching John Doe. <laughs> yeah, there's no chance they were ever going to find him. Like, John, and, and John, John Doe's plan was to end with them finding him, and he still had to go to them. Yeah. <laughs> they were never, they were never going to find him. I feel like they, oh, I mean, yeah, sorry, is that your answer, Billy? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like they had that one really awesome shot at it, which they kind of blew. And even even then, I sort of feel like John Doe blew it as well. Like, why shoot at them outside their door? Like, why not just keep walking up the stairs when you notice two detectives outside your house? You know what I mean? Exactly. It was a little bit, little bit sort of out of character for him, I felt. But yeah, I didn't feel like these guys were ever going to find him. Fuck no. No. I think they make it clear on the car ride out to the finale that Mills is completely overmatched by this guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and Somerset's just going to quit, so. Exactly. And Somerset is the, completely the brains of this. Mills would have probably been locking up and kicking down doors all over fucking town and not getting the right person at all, you know? No way in hell. Final question. Time to pit you guys against each other. <laughs> Throw a cat amongst the pigeons. So John Doe's out there and he's targeting people. What sin do you reckon Don Doe would target your podcasting partner for the most? Um, Who wants to go first? Your, <laughs> it's, it's for making your wife and best friend watch reindeer games. <laughs> it's, it's its own deadly sin because it's a putrid thing to do to another person. <laughs> what do you think that is? Pride? Um, is, it, is it vengeance? Does Billy secretly hate me? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Maybe it's envy. Maybe I was envious that you... We're living in a world where you hadn't seen it. <laughs> Look, and I'll throw some shade on Rainy Games, but that movie fucking rocks. <laughs> That's the answer, Billy. Well done. Uh, well, my answer for... I, I really struggled with this because you kind of border on a lot of sins, but... <laughs> He's an equal sins kind of guy. Yeah. So I think I'm going to go with pride, which is funny because in some ways you're not a very prideful person, but you are a very smug person, so... That was kind of the closest I could get to was was pride. Yeah, I'll happily take that. <laughs> of course you will. You'll happily take anything about yourself, won't you, mate? <laughs> you proud motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect. 
Anywho, moves us over to Billy. What do you got there, Billy? All right. First question for you, lads. If you were tasked with removing Kevin Spacey from the film, you know, because, of course, who would you digitally replace him with? Clearly, I am open to this, given what I've been saying this whole time. And so I've I've kind of, I've held in the, the 1995 universe here for mine. I think the I think the low hanging fruit is Malkovich. Yeah, oh, and he'd be great. He would yep. be amazing. <laughs> he would be great, but it is it's a bit obvious. Then I thought as Jane Doe, I think Glenn Close would just absolutely mm. rock. Yeah, that'd be that role. Cool. But is it is it still too close after Fatal Attraction? Okay, mm. maybe not. So passing on Glenn. Sorry. And then I thought Mark Rylance, a creepy as fuck yeah. Mark Rylance. I think would be. The bomb. I can see yeah. that working. I can dig that. Similar to you, I went back into 1995 and I was trying to think of who the most popular but creepy actors were back then. And I almost feel like my first answer, similar to low-hanging fruit, was Steve Buscemi was way too good for Conier. And I was thinking you could pretty much take that Conier character <laughs> and put him into this film and you get the same result. Yeah, you've both gone Conier pools with Malkovich and, and Buscemi. I was actually surprised <laughs> exactly. that you didn't say Cage, Sam. Oh, no, he was, he was on my shortlist as well. <laughs> yeah. The, those two were on my shortlist, and then I was like, well, what about, like, um, Christopher Walken? You know, like, the sort of creepiest, you know, like, he's just coming off the back of Pulp Fiction. He was that sort of level. But then I, I started setting on, you sort of need this chaotic energy burning under the surface, but not too much. Not Jack Nicholson level, like, sort of Jack Nicholson light. So that's why I went Michael Keaton. I reckon Michael Keaton's got that sort of insanity energy, and we've never seen him as, like, a true villain. I mean, aside from Vulture and Spider-Man, you know, those Marvel movies that you guys really love. Yeah, he's he, like, you know, that's the only time we've really seen him as, like, a proper villain. So, yeah, Michael Keaton. It would have been perfect. Would have been perfect. Coming off Batman as well, you know, it just would have been such a change of pace for him. I could see that. All right, next question. If this was the seventh film in a franchise, what six films would precede it? Thanks, Billy. (laughs) My answer for this, I literally wrote down, I don't need an answer, but these guys need six. Huh. Ah, motherfucker. (laughs) Well, I've just gone with Fast and the Furious 1 through 6. (laughs) I'm kidding. Oh, what do you got, Toph? Well, yeah, just basically any six films that Billy has recommended I watch, which are all in their own way, absolutely as horrifying as seven. So they're all Same year as Tommy Boy. Sins. So you start with Tommy Boy for gluttony. Yep. Into Reindeer Games, into Sphere, into... Reindeer, Games, got Billy. Reindeer Games is clearly pride because of Ben Affleck's shit-eating grin. True. Definitely. <laughs> John, Stop pulling down John Carter. Topher likes John Carter, Sam. It's all right. That's right. I do give John Carter a five out of. T- did I give it a five out of ten or a four out of ten? I 10? think you were a six. <laughs> I don't think I was. Yeah, I mean, I I went with films that are just like I don't know shitty universes where nothing nice really happens. So my first film would be One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. My second film would be Two Days in the Valley. My third film would be Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. My fourth film would be Four Rooms. My fifth r- film would be Five Easy Pieces from 1970. So we've gone from a pretty average film to a pretty awesome film. And then sixth film would be Six Sense. It just makes sense. They just all blend into each other. They're all like pretty shitty universes where bad things bad things happen. So great yeah. answer. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I was. I I thought that my first one would be One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as well. Yeah. Yeah. Hey everyone, uh, just a quick interruption. I don't really explain it that well at this part of the podcast, but basically, Topher kept dropping in and dropping out of our call because his laptop was overheating and. In the end, he had to sort of hold his laptop up against the wall to try and get some air circulation going through it. But the camera basically looked straight down the front of him. And as a joke, to sort of troll me and Billy, he started playing with his belt. It looked hilarious. Anyway, you can work out where this is going to go. I think this thing's like overheated. (laughs) 
I feel like we're hiding in the roof and you're trying to find us. We got well, yeah. Now I'm trying to give the the body of the laptop a bit of airflow. So yes, we can go like this, steering straight down the front of your guts. All right, that's cool. Okay. All right. Next question, guys. What would the eighth <laughs> deadly sin be? <laughs> so, sorry, try that again. <laughs> Just sort of that, is the, that was Sam's answer. <laughs> Uh, my last question for you guys, what would the eighth deadly sin be? Getting your dick out on a <laughs> Zoom meeting. What the fuck? What are you up to, Topher? People are going to believe that. I know. Uh, honestly, I no, I toyed with some ideas. I, I was going to piss off Stacey and say being ginger is probably one of the eighth deadly sins. <laughs> as much as she loves loves me, but the... Um, I guess the other one is like deception. You know what I mean? Like deception, like you don't really see lying and cheating and stealing and all that sort of shit. Like sure, the other ones sort of lean into that a bit, you know, like greed and envy and shit. But just like lying and cheating and being deceptive, I think is probably probably the worst. And whatever face Topher's making at the moment is probably one. (laughs) (laughs) My one kind of ties into deception because it's recommending reindeer games to someone. (laughs) Well... Fuck you, because I did come up with an answer for this one, and it's taking your shoes off at the cinema, mate. That's clearly the eighth deadly sin. I only do that if it's in winter and there's no one close to me. There is a special layer of hell for people who do that, mate. I apologise for nothing. You would hate me, Billy. I like national footwear of New Zealand is jandals, aka fongs, aka flip-flops. And I wear them to the movies and then take them off as soon as I get there and put my feet on the seat in front of me. I, you know, I'm I'm only barefoot to shower. I never take my shoes off, ever, because it's so rude. Not even on planes? <laughs> no, no, not on a plane. That's one of the worst places you could do it, mate. You don't walk barefoot down the streets to your like, local shop and shit like that? Not once. That's like the most New ever, Zealand mate. thing ever. If, I, I, you honestly, can't do that in Australia, Sam. Someone will kill you. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. I don't, I don't take the bins out without shoes on, mate. <laughs> I'm just imagining you standing completely nude outside of your bins. <laughs> well, I've got my shoes on. Like honestly, if I'm going for a for a little dip in my backyard pool, I'll wear my shoes out there, oh, take them off, and leave shit. them next to the pool. <laughs> and not thongs. I don't wear thongs, mate. Do you wear them They're, to bed? Like what's? No, I don't wear them to bed. Bed, bed, and showers are the only two places that shoes don't belong on your feet. <laughs> Certainly not at the cinemas, mate. You're a weird kid. You're a weirdo, Billy. <laughs> The best part is you're probably in the majority, but you're, at this point in time, you're in the minority here. You're weird. <laughs> Anywho, that takes us down to our last question, which, I, as I mentioned, is also a Patreon question. Comes courtesy of Nick, of formerly of the Epic Film Guys, now of Mr. Nikolai's Kitchen. And I threw it in here last because, in a lot of ways, this film already is this, but I wanted to hear from you guys what you guys could do with this. But how could this movie have been rewritten into a Shakespearean comedy or tragedy? You you said my answer already. I struggled with this for so long, and then I realized that the reason I couldn't think of anything is because it basically already is. Yeah. Like, there's a tragic romance between Mills and his wife. Morgan Freeman gets in the way. There's a head in a box, kind of like holding a skull. Like, it's. I, I just feel like there's a lot of elements that are already there. It's already kind of this tragic... I, I just... I couldn't think of anything. Nothing. Okay. What about you, Soph? Nothing. I've gone comedy, because obviously, lol. Um... <laughs> So much ado about nothing style. We, we in not well, not ex- not exactly, but in t- in terms of just tricking Mills into thinking something's terrible has happened when it hasn't. We know that their marriage is in decline. For anyone yeah. who actually watched the film, like they're it's no good. So replace Somerset with Tracy, right? Mills, John Doe then gets who in this film John Doe's a really good guy gets Mills to think that Tracy is dead. 
oh my god, what's happened? And that triggers the fact that actually he does love Tracy and they then live happily ever after. Spoiler alert for another David Fincher film, but isn't this like eerily familiar to the game where it's like they just spend the entire movie trying to trick somebody into thinking one thing? Game's not a comedy, mate. This has laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> nothing, nothing brings the chuckles like murder. Oh, absolutely. And so that's why I also went with a comedy. And um, mistaken identities is quite common in um, in a lot of Shakespearean where, mm. you know, you don't know what's going on. So I would have loved it at the end. Or having sex with goats. <laughs> sure, that as well. <laughs> um, but basically, I would have loved it at the end if, you know, the box shows up and Somerset's like shitting himself. He's like, fuck, I know what's in the box. And then, you know, like he's, John Doe's doing his little rant to Mills. He's like, you know, I, I envied you. That was my sin, blah, 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 blah. And then Somerset opens the box to reveal the landlady's head. <laughs> Not Tracy's head, but the landlady's head. John Doe's gone over, mistaken the landlady of their building for Tracy, murdered her, shoved her head in the box. And then Mills is just like, what's in the box? He's like, well, I don't know how to tell you this, mate, but your landlady's head's in this. He's like, no, no, it's your... It's your wife, isn't it? And then they all just laugh. They're like, oh, we all killed the wrong person. <laughs> Jesus, I'm dark. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best I could come up with. Love your question, Nick, but holy shit, it fucking stretches you to come up with something. But anyway, yeah, that takes it to the end. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. And thanks to these guys for joining us. Why don't you guys tell us all about We Watch The Thing so they can finish listening to this and go check out your guys' episodes. I, I would let Topher tell you about the show, but I don't think he knows what it is anymore. <laughs> Uh, we we watch the thing uh, usually Topher and I although as mentioned he's been on a bit of a break so we've had some other podcasting guests although hopefully we'll be doing some stuff together again soon does what it says on the tin we watch one thing a week I'm a visual effects artist Topher's a cameraman we both just love movies and we just have a chat about it usually pretty concisely we try to be funny we try to be insightful hopefully we pull that off some of the time uh, so you can find us at We Watched a Thing on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're at WeWatchedAThing.com and we're anywhere you can find good podcasts. Nothing nothing inspires confidence in, yeah, this will be enjoyable, like saying we try to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> really selling it, eh? Well, you do the spiel then, mate. I can't improve on yours. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was the reindeer games of spiels. <laughs> Fuck you, mate. <laughs> Wipe that shit eating grin off your face. <laughs> Wait, I'll, I'll help you out. You guys are an awesome show. You're legitimately the only movie podcast that my wife listens to. She doesn't listen to us. She doesn't listen to anyone else. She only listens to you guys. She quite often points out how, how much better you guys have done at analyzing a film than we've done on one of our episodes that's covered the same film. Cheers, Stacey. Love you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh if you liked us you can get in contact with us at uh movie reviews and 20 qs on facebook you can find us on twitter at movie reviews in or you can send us an email at mritqs at gmail.com upcoming films kahoo's asked us to do robocop which would be quite interesting we're also going to do a christmas movie and there might be another one probably wonder woman 84 after that and then we'll be on a break until probably till the end of january and uh yeah that's pretty much thanks for me thanks Sam. thanks for me go watch a movie